0: It's now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. I'm Dave Brown. It's Thursday, February the 9th, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Microsoft has launched an AI powered Bing search engine and they've upgraded the Edge browser. Marco Flalo of Double Tap will fill you in on some details. And Cybacillin is making waves in the wellness industry as a potential use in mental health treatment. Dawn Dickinson gives you the details in her preview of McLean's magazine, by the way, Cybacillin. Think uh, magic mushrooms. To put that in plain English for you. Let's begin the hour with the regional news updates. Beginning in British Columbia, a Canadian seismologist says BC could do a better job preparing for a major earthquake. John Kennedy has more.
1: John Clegg, a professor emeritus in earth sciences at Simon Fraser University, says the relatively distant time frame for such an event in human terms makes them difficult to imagine. He says it's an understandable trap for governments to fall into, short-term thinking about earthquakes that might only happen every 500 years. And while he praises the ongoing seismic upgrades in British Columbia, such investments are never enough. Clegg says Vancouver is fortunate to have regular building code revisions and government attention to infrastructure that would mitigate the impact of a Like the 7.8 tremor that struck Turkey and Syria. John Kennedy, The Canadian Press.
0: And over to the prairies, Winnipeg property owners will face higher tax bills and fees as Mayor Scott Gillingham's first budget targets infrastructure. The city's proposed financial plan also includes measures to improve services such as Winnipeg Transit and 311. If the budget is approved, the average single-family homeowner will pay an extra $142 through a 3.5% tax hike and a one-time frontage levy increase. Some of the money will go toward downtown safety efforts and neighbourhood action teams. And finally, in Ontario, the Ontario Legislature is eyeing a full shutdown for major renovations. A report is underway to determine exactly what work is needed on the 130-year-old building. But Legislative Affairs Minister Paul Callandra says... It's clear it will not come cheap. Calandra is involved in scouting a new location for the Assembly. He hopes that when the next provincial government convenes after the 2026 location, election, not location, election, it will be held in a different spot. Sorry, I had location on the brain. That's your look at the news. There's lots of news going on in the sports world. Brock Richardson is here to chat about it. Brock, basketball, basketball, basketball today. Before you jump into the NBA trade deadline, the Wheelchair Basketball World Championships have released their pools for the upcoming tournament.
2: Yes, so the upcoming tournament is um, going to be in June, and I uh, they've released their pools. Now, the men's uh, side of the tournament will be in uh, four pools. That's why when I get down to them, you're going to see Uh, that there are less teams on their side than on the women's side. Let's start with the women's side. Uh, Brazil, China, Australia, Spain, Great Britain. Those are all in Canada's pool. This is a pool that um, is going to be a tough pool. I I believe that the women are going to be able to get out of that pool, no doubt, um, but it is going to be a tough pool. You're talking about <clears throat> Spain, who's always been a real tough contender. Brazil, who's uh, one of the top-ranked uh, teams. Australia and Great Britain, they're kind of middle ground, so Canada should uh, should be able to handle those games quite easily, but I am uh, very much keeping my eye on Brazil and and Spain for the mm-hmm. women's side. Very good. Uh And then if we look at uh, the men's side, they're in a pool with Egypt, Germany, and Thailand. Again, Thailand, a very strong team as well. So they're going to be in tough there as well. But that is your look at the uh, men's and women's pools for the upcoming World Championships, which will be held in June. And of course, we'll cover all that Mm -hmm. when it comes to be. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Brock. Thank you for the update.
0: The other side of basketball news, Brock, I'll I'll be honest with you. I was at the bar last night, went to bed fairly late. I thought all the news was done by the time I closed my eyes. I wake up this morning, all blurry-eyed, And I'm looking at the notification on my phone that shows me that Kevin Durant of the Brooklyn Nets has been traded in a blockbuster to the Phoenix Suns. This one must have broken at 1 or 2 in the morning. I was stunned as the NBA trade deadline was already well underway. But Brock, let's start there. Kevin Durant to the Phoenix Suns for quite the package coming back. I'm not going to get into the whole thing here, but a couple of roster players... Four first-round draft picks, some pick swaps. What is your reaction to the news that Kevin Durant has been Uh, traded, the Brooklyn Nets moving Kyrie and Kevin Durant within four days of one another?
2: You know how much the Brooklyn Nets had to move the sun and the earth uh, to get, you know, what they got for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and now it's all dismantled, and it's all gone, and it's all done and. Dusted. For me, I am surprised at this trade. I will say that um until we heard news of where Kevin Durant is going, which we did now, I wasn't necessarily sold. He was gonna stay where he was. Um, uh, but this surprises me uh to Phoenix, and we'll see how this shakes down. But big, big deal at one a- one a.m. in the morning, and I feel for all the people that would have had extra coffee (laughs) putting that putting that together in math and cap crunching and all that (laughs) jazz so good on those people because
0: It creates a really interesting top three, uh, big three for Phoenix with the aging Chris Paul, the young Devin Booker and the middle-aged man of the group, Kevin Durant. But those are three tremendous basketball players. It it turns Phoenix into a real power in the West very quickly. Uh, They've struggled a little bit this year, Brock. They're currently not ranked in the top three in the West, but I get the sense that based on this trade, this is going to make them a major, major player down the stretch.
2: Yeah, it, it has to. Uh, when you have the likes of those three uh, on that team, it has to make uh, big changes. I've always liked uh, Phoenix style of of basketball. They they're they're kind of like they can be. They haven't been been this way so much this year. They kind of can just kind of show you we're gonna play basketball very aggressively, and you're just gonna have to learn to defend it. This year, they've seemed to be a bit on a struggle side but i do think they're now because of this trade in in the top and and probably put themselves in the You know, conversation of Mm. Western Conference final almost immediately by making this trade.
0: You mentioned the Brooklyn Nets moving heaven and earth to get Kyrie and Kevin Durant the way they did in the summer of 2019. Uh, Brock, I I just want to make mention of two of the roster players that are going back in this trade. Mikkel Bridges and Cam Johnson, who are both big parts of the Phoenix rotation and are going to help. Brooklyn continue to play. Just like the additions of Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie in the Kyrie Irving trade. These are all solid NBA players they got in return And, of course, the draft capital they got in both trades matters as well. But, Brock, what really makes this important in terms of them getting players who can play back in the deal, it's that they gave away a lot of their own draft picks to the Houston Rockets when acquiring James Harden a couple of years ago. They recouped some of that when they flipped him over to Philadelphia about a year later. But they don't control their own draft picks for a couple of years now, Brock. So it's really important that they they can't go into the tank here Otherwise, just like their top picks went to Boston for a few years after the Kevin Garnett trade, it's the same situation. This is a team that cannot actively tank. They need functional NBA players to go along with this draft capital they've picked up.
2: Yeah, and the thing that that strikes me with the, the players moving back is that you are missing out on what we hope to be the drama. There's been a bunch of drama in Brooklyn uh, for quite some time now, and hopefully we can get back to seeing uh, the Brooklyn Nets as an organization play basketball mm-hmm. and, and be <laughs> be contenders on, in the field of play versus off the field. I think we've seen far too much um, off the court lately. That you know, it's at some point Brooklyn has to decide to you know play basketball as an organization, and I think this is the right step. But again, I go back to this. Just because you, you bring, you know, notable trades and you move heaven and earth to get guys doesn't mean that that's going to translate into immediate, you know, championship worthy teams. It just means that you've got talent, but you have to make that talent gel. And it seems that the Brooklyn Nets haven't been able to do that. And hopefully now we're seeing the the sort of difference turn around a little bit.
0: Brock, what do you want to do next? Do you want to do the Toronto Raptors trade with the San Antonio Spurs, or do you want to talk about D'Angelo Russell going to the Los Angeles Lakers? Uh,
2: my only reaction to the Toronto Raptors trade is I think it's a good one, but I think that Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster don't know what the terminology is of sell. Uh, <laughs> they, I I don't know if that's in the language of, of those two, and I, and I got to be honest with you, I, I'm happy with it, but I'm just like surprised and it makes me wonder, what are we doing with Fred van Vliet today? Are we keeping Fred? Are we what what's happening? You know, it seems that the media outlets all you know basically are pushing him out the door. but i I'm seeing this trade. I'm like, are they though? because they seem to have bought uh in this yeah in this situation. And so I go back to is the terminology can they sell? Uh, it doesn't feel like it, even though I think they should.
0: So, so Brock, let, let me actually break down the trade here. Let me let me share the details of the trade. Jakub Podol, who was originally drafted by the Toronto Raptors a few years ago, he was shipped out in the Kawhi Leonard deal. He's been reacquired by the Raptors from the San Antonio Spurs in exchange for Kem Birch, who's really not a very important player and a 2024 protected first round pick. So not this year's first round pick, next year's first round pick with some protections depending on how high that pick might be. I had the exact same thought as you, Brock. I I I figured that the Raptors were going to be trading players today. I thought certainly Fred Van Vliet was going to be moved. There's been a lot of talk about trading OG and Anobi as well. I really thought the Raptors were going to be selling today. This trade doesn't mean it's impossible for them to be a seller, but it certainly makes it a little bit less likely. It almost strikes me that management or ownership has said, hey, we're happy to get to the play in tournament. We're happy to get to a one game elimination game to potentially make the playoffs. And we think we can move some assets in here to do this, but I think it's a really risky move to be giving up that first round pick next year and not go after a top five pick this year.
2: Yeah, I, I do. I think it's a really risky move and I, and I, and I say it sort of tongue in cheek when I say beside jury and Bobby Webster don't know what it is to sell. And I, and I, really think they could end up missing missing it here if they don't do it appropriately. I don't think the, uh, the fan base wants to see you patch this together so that we can get into a one-game playoff and then get into a, a seven-game series with a team that you're going to get frankly dismantled Mm -hmm, by mm -hmm. in my opinion and is that the pieces you want to leave with your organization at the end of this year when you've given up as you point out you know first round draft picks you know I I don't know and I just don't like the approach I love Masai Ujiri I've always loved him he he did things that you know you wouldn't have expected uh, in the years that he's been here but this one I, I have a feeling Dave He's, he's missing missing the boat here a little yeah. bit. Or it could be proving us both wrong. He might have plans
0: to move OG and Fred today and just go retool in the summer with some of that cap space. So maybe uh, maybe he's pulling a little switcheroo on us here. So he, he traded a first-round pick, but he's going to get a couple more today. Maybe that's, uh, Maybe that's the play. Okay, Brock, one more trade to talk about here on NBA Trade Deadline Day. This one's a little bit complicated, so I'm not going to go through all of the details. But the Los Angeles Lakers, so we talked about yesterday as a team at risk of missing the playoffs acquired D'Angelo Russell. He's a combo guard and Malik Beasley, a scoring forward and Jared Vanderbilt, a great defender in a three-way trade with Utah and Minnesota. Doesn't really matter what Utah got in this other than some draft capital and, and Russell Westbrook's contract, but Minnesota did take on point guard Mike Conley and Canadian Nikhil Alexander-Walker to try and bolster their playoff push. Brock, I don't think there's too much point in talking about Utah or Minnesota here, but the addition of those three players, a former all-star in D'Angelo Russell, certainly one of the better combo guards in the league, Jared Vanderbilt, one of the better defending big men in the league, and Malik Beasley, some scoring off the bench. What do you think this does to change the chemistry in Los Angeles?
2: It... it what it does, in my opinion, is it allows for LeBron James to have some support. We saw him break the record a couple of nights ago, and he it was like a one-man band. You, If you're going to make a push, you cannot make LeBron James literally carry this team on his own. And I think this piece sort of allows the Lakers to say, okay, we're going to make a push. Um, and we're gonna see what we can do once you get into the dance you never do know with the the Lakers and what they might do but to me this gives the support to LeBron where it's like oh man you know he he breaks the record but then they still lose uh, yeah. To, yeah. to Oklahoma City and nobody was talking about it I didn't even know that they lost honestly because... until,
0: until I told you until I told right. you I was and, like it's a bummer
2: it was like what they lost it was all about LeBron and <laughs> Oh, the passing of the ball and all this, and you know Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, all that, and it was just like they they lost. Sorry, what? I didn't <laughs> I didn't catch that and all that, and it was it was a bad look. If you're the Lakers, you you just I don't know. You gotta you gotta do something if you're gonna make a push, and I think they've kind of pushed it in the direction where they can actually make a push for this now
0: yeah they seem to have bolstered their depth a little bit which was one of the things when you looked at their roster it was it was uh dangerously thin it was a thin mint it was a very thin roster so they've definitely bolstered that up a little bit but they're they're not a championship contender Uh, but this was a trade that you had to make because there was no way they could miss the playoffs they don't control their own first round pick it belongs to new orleans from the anthony davis trade they had to do something and for them getting to the at least getting to the play in tournaments, it's not enough but at least it's something Hey, Brock, we got to get out of here. But tomorrow, you and I are deep diving into the Super Bowl. Are you excited?
2: Yes, I am. Very excited. It will be
0: good. I'm excited, too. I've already got a couple bets in. We'll talk about them tomorrow because there's nothing that TV viewers love more than hearing sports guys talk about the bets they've made. (laughs) Brock, have a great day. You as well. (laughs) That's Brock Richardson at the AMI Sports Desk. Alex Smythe is at the AMI Weather Desk.
3: Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada, starting off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland. There's snow, impossible snow squalls today. Five centimeters is expected to fall. There would be wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is minus nine, feeling like minus 19. In Charlottetown, PEI, it is mainly sunny, a high of minus six, and feeling like minus 18 in Charlottetown. Over to St. John, New Brunswick, it's sunny, a high of zero and feeling like minus 15. In Quebec City, Quebec, it's a mix of sun and clouds becoming cloudy as the day goes on. The highest minus four, feeling like minus seven, but there is a winter storm warning in effect with heavy snows expected to begin tonight. In, here in Toronto, Ontario, it's rain, and possible freezing rain going throughout the day. There's up to 25 millimeters expected today. So it's going to be a wet one, the high is eight degrees. In Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, there's snow beginning this afternoon with up to five centimeters expected to fall. The high is one degree, feeling like minus nine. In Brandon, Manitoba, it's sunny. In It's mainly sunny with a high of minus eight, but feeling like minus 23 with the wind chill. The sunshine continues as we move our, our way west in Regina, Saskatchewan, it is mainly sunny as well. The high is minus six, but with that wind chill makes it feel like minus 25. Over to Lethbridge, Alberta, it's sunny as well. There is a bit of a heavy wind. Wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour. The high is seven degrees, but feeling like minus 12 with the wind chill. To Red Deer, Alberta, it's mainly sunny too. Three degrees as a high, but with that wind chill makes it feel like minus 18. Up in Whitehorse, Yukon, there is periods of snow today and it's gonna be starting in the morning. There's two centimeters expected to fall. The high is minus six, but with that wind chill, it makes it feel like minus 15. The Kelowna, BC now, it's cloudy with a chance of snow or rain, and then it'll be coming a mix of sun and clouds later in the afternoon. The high is five degrees, but it's more like minus five with the wind chill. And finally, in Vancouver, BC, it is mainly cloudy with rain expected in the morning and 11, is the high. That's our
0: AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much. Alex, coming up next, Microsoft has powered their Bing search engine and Edge browser with artificial intelligence. Marco Flalo will fill you in on some of those details, but Mike DeBusky also had this topic in mind. So here's a primer in tech trends.
2: It's a new day in search. It's a new paradigm for search.
3: Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella, as the company introduced its new addition to Bing, natural language questions and answers, powered by some of the same AI technology behind ChatGPT. But one of the questions around the wildly popular chatbot, how do we know if
1: the answer is wrong? Microsoft corporate VP Yusuf Mehdi tells ABC News. On the answer itself, we put now citations. So think about if you wrote a college paper and you have to have you have to like you know cite your references, right? So we cite the references to where we pull the data. So when you get an answer, you'll have links to all of the websites where we say, Hey, this is where we pull that answer from.
3: The updated Bing with ChatGPT in testing now, it should be available widely in a few weeks. With tech trends,
1: I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News.
0: Welcome back it's now with Dave Brown on AMI you just heard in tech trends before the break some of the big news coming out of Microsoft incorporating AI into their Bing search engine as well as the edge browser so what does it mean to offer some AI power to these tools Mark Aflalo is the host of double tap which you can find daily noon eastern time on AMI audio Mark how's it going.
1: I'm doing great, Dave. What a busy week.
0: Oh, my gosh. a Double dose of Mark this week. I'm always excited about that. Mark, there was a little primer that we played before the break that descri- described the way in which ChatGPT might be held accountable for some of the answers it gives in Bing. But what do you think this is going to mean for functionality for users to put AI into the browser and into the search engine?
1: Well, it's all about bringing more context and relevancy to the search and the results that you have this new version of, what they announced is a new version of Bing, their search engine, which is gonna be powered by AI, and also their web browser, which is Edge, that is gonna have Bing search all baked in. They're dubbing this kind of, quote, unquote, the co-pilot for the web. And the whole purpose is to bring more personalized and relevant search results using AI algorithms. So it's going to design to understand the context of what the user is looking for. It's going to look at things like what browser, what page were they just on when they asked this question? What have they looked at in the past couple of minutes that you know prompted this kind of question? And it's going to give them results that are a little bit more relevant to what they're looking for, taking into account things like geography, where they are i All at the end of the day with a goal just to make search more fast, more intuitive and more helpful at the end of the day.
0: Mark, as people are well aware, I, I I'm someone who understands technology a little bit, but really only a little bit. How different is this than the current model of cookies and algorithms that are incorporated across the web?
1: Well, cookies just track where you've been and it gives it a URL and doesn't actually look at the content of what you're looking for. Mm, okay. So it can look, okay, this is a website they've been on. It doesn't know what you've read on that page. It doesn't know how far you've scrolled down, if you have scrolled down at all. It doesn't know what you did before. And it can't put all that together and analyze it and say to itself, okay, this guy was clearly looking at, you know, things to do when he's in Venezuela next time. <laughs> so let's give him results based on that when he's looking for restaurants now in Venezuela. Now we're going to ask him at the same time, is this what you wanted? And it's going to cite sources so that, you know, you can determine for yourself whether something is really relevant or not, or based on factual information. But it's going to be able to see things like that on a much bigger scale. So imagine this like a, you know, a giant magnifying glass that is looking at not only what you're looking at, in, in and of course, in a context of privacy, of course, but also why you've been there and hopefully give you results that make sense for what you're looking for next. Where does this stand as a precedent in terms of an
0: integration between the browser you're using and the search engine that you're using?
1: Well, there's always been integration. Like if you look at Chrome, for example, when you search in Chrome with the search, whether it's the bar or the the address bar, the search bar, it's going to bring up Google results. You can always change that. You can make that bring up Bing, Yahoo, insert search engine of your choice. And Microsoft does the same thing with their edge browser. You're going to be able to opt out of it and use a different search engine if that's what you want. So this is an important piece of the puzzle because there's been a lot of issues in the past decade or so about privacy concerns and a monopoly. You know, forcing people to use a certain browser or a certain, you know, search engine based on the operating system or the company that's providing it. So there's no real precedent here, I think, in terms of what they're going to allow people to do. But I think from Microsoft's point of view it allows them, because they're first to market to integrate this kind of feature, and of course they have a $10 billion plus investment <laughs> in Chat GPT. you know, it's going to create buzz for what they're doing among the industry. It's going to establish their position as a little bit of a leadership position in what they're doing. And it hopefully at the end of the day, it's going to attract new users to both Edge and Bing, which is something they have to do because Google, as we know, has been the leader in search for several decades. Now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Mark, I am going to ask you our
0: daily poll question which is all about this in a moment but as a concluding thought the big press conference or the press availability or announcement was yesterday when does this go live to the public
1: so you can actually trial it out right now if you go to bing.com it's not the full baked in version that's going to give you different results every single time. So it's really just a way for you to experience how it's going to appear. It just appears as a sidebar in the browser, the sidebar in the search results. But they're expecting a full release in the coming weeks, they're saying. This is imminent. It is not something that's going to be like three months from now.
0: You mentioned that Microsoft with Bing is trying to go up against Google, which is the dominant search engine. Chrome their browser is also the dominant browser. It's the most popular browser in the world, with Safari being number two, that's Apple's browser, and then Microsoft's Edge being number three, and it's it's a pretty distant number three if you really look at it. So oh, Mark, yeah. the daily poll question today is, what is your preferred browser? And you can vote on that at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc on Facebook. So Mark, you're a tech guy, where do you land? Chrome, Safari, Edge, or Firefox? Or off so, the board? Uh,
1: i got to tell you that um, on a desktop, it's Chrome, hands down. On a laptop, it's Safari. And the reason for that is because Chrome sucks up so many resources and sucks up battery life. So on a laptop, it is the last one I want to load because it kills the battery life on the computer. You see,
0: that's the kind of perspective you need to get from these tech guys. Mark, thank you for this. I enjoyed catching up with you twice on air. Me too, Dave. Talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. That's Mark Aflalo. He's part of the Double Tap crew. You can find the audio show at noon eastern daily on AMI audio. And you can find Mark in Montreal. You can find the Double Tap team on Twitter at Double Tap On Air. Speaking of AMI audio programming, Thursday, that's today, 1:30 PM Eastern Time on the pulse. Judah Gupta. We'll speak with the co-founders of DateAbility, a dating app designed exclusively for people with disabilities. That's The Pulse, Thursday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. Coming up next, Alex Smythe will lead the roundtable with a focus on remote work. Specifically, if you could work remotely, where would you do it? This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. and Amuthan and Nasreen abdel are standing by to engage in a roundtable chat. But Alex Smythe is the conductor of this train. So, Alex, we say choo-choo to you. You stole my thunder. I
3: was going to do the choo-choo. Well, thank you, Dave. <laughs>
0: uh, gimmick so, gimmick uh, make... infringement over here.
3: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, you know, last night I was chatting with uh, one of my best friends, and we were talking just like, how expensive it is to to live in and work in uh, the GTA Oof, in, in yeah. Ontario. You know, it's a struggle everyone's facing. So we started talking because he has family on his wife's side that lives in Poland, which is a lot cheaper. It's like, you know, what would it be like maybe to uh, to work remotely out there to live somewhere far cheaper? So got me thinking, like, what if if everyone could you know work anywhere in the world? What would be your kind of dream location where would you work so Nisreen let's start with you you could work anywhere in the world remotely where would you work?
4: I didn't even think about pricing that didn't even cross my mind when I saw your question what I thought of is uh I want to be on an island a secluded island um, on the beach on my laptop that's what I imagine myself when I say okay remote dream remote work you know so uh um, but yeah.
0: which which beach Nazreen what were you thinking you Thinking a little Florida because I'm because you know America might not be uh, as friendly yeah. as we'd like it to be California a little pricey where's your beach
4: California is too pricey yeah but it's beautiful um I would <laughs> I would say uh l- let's say well right now what I'm thinking of is Bora Bora at this point oh
0: oh Nazreen even more expensive Whoa, Let, South go Pacific go big or go home
4: I I told you, I didn't even think about pricing, so now (laughs) I have to think about that too so that just got me stressed out thanks oh.
3: <laughs> no, no no it was a dream it's a dream dream location so Bora Bora is acceptable yeah yeah,
0: yeah. We're, like, we're not we're not trying to we're not trying to you know minimize Let's our dreams here yeah, yeah. Oh. uh so so I'm I'm still mad at our old boss Andy Frank for making me move to Toronto from Ottawa so uh, I would love to do some remote work let me get a nice remote studio set up somewhere I've got time zones on the brain, though. Even though I've become a little bit more of a morning person in my life, I think waking up for work at 3.30 in the morning for three years as a morning traffic reporter certainly influenced that in terms of uh, dragging my Overton window a bit, but I get up at like 5 o'clock-ish every day, sometimes earlier, sometimes a little bit later. So I would love to not wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning every day, go to a place where English is where I'd, what I'd be able to speak in my day-to-day operations, but get a very friendly time zone. So I was thinking that I might really like living in Ireland. I don't know if it's Galway, I don't know if it's Dublin, I don't know if it's Northern Ireland and living in Belfast. I had a great time when I went to Belfast like 20 years ago. So I'm thinking that give me a better time zone so the show would start for me every day at about one or two in the afternoon. It means I could sleep in to like eight or nine every day, still finish work at a very reasonable hour, and then go to the pub and have a couple Guinnesses, which would be really, well, I, I drink Kilkenny, but you get my point. So I'm thinking Ireland would be sweet. I, I think the time zone would work for me. The climate is a little bit damp and wet and dark, but I like that. That is my thriving condition. And they've got good internet in Ireland. So, you know, all I need need is internet and a camera and my handsome face and beautiful voice. Alex, what about you?
3: Yeah, so Dave, I'm thinking similar kind of lines. I originally, I I thought beached like Nisreen. I thought that would be pretty nice. But to me, it's like, okay, you know, I, I... even in my my dream states, I'm still thinking logistically. Okay, gotta be a good internet. Gotta be close with transit and and all these things. So, uh, for me, I'm thinking a bit. It's still Europe. I'm thinking Munich, Germany, somewhere that has a, a quaint feel like like Dublin. You know, not quite as uh, um, a relative time zones, but you know, somewhere that's still in uh, mainland Europe that you can hop on a train after work. You can be spend a couple hours and then you're you're in a completely different country. Or all these little you know weekend road trips would be uh, something that would really appeal to me. But you still have all the necessities of a great public transit system, great healthcare, great internet access, great resources around you. And instead of Guinness, you're swapping it out for house uh, uh beer. You know, I get a liter beer and and a bratwurst after work, Dave. I mean. Uh, between that and a meat pie and a Guinness
0: or a Kilkenny, I, mm. that's not a bad trade-off. You forgot Unt, 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 Bex. Uh, we've not forgotten Ramya Emwethan in this conversation. Ramya, when you think about a dream place for remote
5: work, where do you land? I can't just decide on one place. I'm, I'm catching bits of what you guys have said. Sorry, I had to run. But anyway, the the beach sounds like the best option for me because I just love anywhere... A uh, beach like you know under the trees under the breeze or uh by the water or you know like the resort life i'm not sure but anywhere where there's good food opportunity i'm willing to move so if i can kind of make it like a monthly rotation you know bi-weekly rotation of uh places where there's just tons of food options around and then be able to go and chill at the beach yeah i can't pick
0: uh, okay, that's that's fair. That's reasonable. Nazreen had mm-hmm. trouble too until I pinned her down, and she finally said Bora Bora. So that's, you know, that's that's reasonable. I, uh, I definitely, I, I think about language as a thing, though. I, I wouldn't want to live somewhere where English wasn't at least the secondary language. So, you know, there are all kinds of beautiful places in this world. But if I can't communicate properly, especially as a person with a disability, I would find it very difficult to sort of get around and be comfortable. So I do limit myself a little bit in terms of saying that only a place where English is the primary or secondary language. And I suppose maybe if French was a secondary language, I'd be... Somewhat okay, but but I would I would still be in a little bit a little bit of trouble. Uh, going on the opposite of what I said, what about a fun place for remote work? Maybe we're on the work life balance a little bit closer to the life side. Nazreen, if you were going going to go live somewhere fun and maybe slack on a couple of your duties for Andy Frank, where would you live?
4: I would go to Switzerland. I think that's my dream location. The Swiss, notorious
0: fun havers. It's been
4: a long time and I, I really wanna go. And my parents went last year and I was so jealous. So I uh, that's my that's my dream fun location.
0: So Ramya, we're throwing away professionalism. Kelly and Ramya is gonna get a little bit rougher on the day to day. Where <laughs> are you going to live for fun?
5: I don't, like, I'm so easygoing, Dave. I feel like fun. I'm, seriously, I feel like you're, fun.
0: You're really, you're really playing the Dave Brown role today and shooting down these questions.
5: I know, I know. When I think of what other people would think of as fun, I'm like, oh, Vegas. But no, that's too much for me. So maybe somewhere like BC, you, you... know, where it's... Just chill.
0: You just stole my answer, Ramya. Did I? I would absolutely. Well, you didn't steal yeah. it. You mentioned it. Las Vegas. Now, the time zone would absolutely kill me. So would the lifestyle. Just I would... the time zone? I would be hosting now with Dave Brown every morning with a heater hanging out of my mouth. Like, I would have to have a smoke friendly studio going on. It would be a problem for me to live in Las Vegas, but I would be delighted. Alex, where would you work remotely if if the life was part of the work-life balance consideration,
3: yeah, I think I, I would have to borrow from Nizarine and say Bora Bora. If it's all about the fun, you know, I, I'm on camera for two hours a day, and then I'm just at the beach. I'm, I'm taking a canoe around, going exploring French Polynesia. Yeah, that's that's my uh, idea of fun
0: out there. Honest question, guys. I hated working remotely during the first two months of the pandemic. That said, I think I just hated my life the first two months of the pandemic, so it's tough to separate the two. But I much prefer to work in the office. I like that I get to come here every day and spend time with people. I'm way more productive in my little glass bubble until Rumia comes in and distracts me or until Nazreen distracts me or until Matt McGurk distracts me or a million people distract me. But I'm way more productive in this place. I prefer to work in the office. I don't like remote work honesty time guys Nazreen do you like working remotely?
4: I hated it in the beginning and then I started adapting to it, and then I'm just like you know what I do like the hybrid work where I come to the office um, here and there just to change scenery but it's nice uh, to get that you know I can wear whatever I want at home and it's it's cool with me. So. I kind of adapted to it slowly. I'm I it, I started liking it, but in the in the beginning I hated it so much.
0: Ramya, you've been a bit of a yo-yo. It's sort of been back and forth, yeah. working remotely, working in the studio, in the office, out of the office, in the office, out of the office. Where do you stand? What do you
5: prefer? I love being at home. I think that my productivity went up like hell when uh, I started working from home. However, I do miss the social aspect, so I enjoy coming into the office as the um once in a while option you know like i'm the person who's like okay i'm down to come in two days a week or a couple days every couple weeks and leave it at that but i don't miss it as much as you do dave i preferred working from home
0: half the company is in the building today i will say the social aspect is great until everybody's up in your grill all day although i did see greg david and i'm always delighted to see greg david on person so that's cool alex what about you for the majority of the last three years you've been working remotely where do you stand what do you prefer
3: yeah, you know, I don't mind working remotely as long as there's you, you have everything you need. If you have your own space that you can work, you can focus, you can concentrate, uh, then I, I'm okay for it. I, I appreciate coming into the office, you know, especially when it's dependent on the types of things you're working on. If you need to have conversations with people and, you know, you can do it face to face and you can kind of quickly deal with something instead of sending emails back and forth or going through teams or something that's beneficial but I, I like having my own space and I can come here. It's easier. The The commute is far less. I will say that's, that's nice. You know, the traffic on the stairs is usually not too bad uh,
0: compared to having yes. a ride on the go train. So uh, yeah, you know, there's a lot of benefits to working remotely. I was part of a lengthy HR seminar yesterday. And the one thing that I've learned about working from home is that I will drink way too much coffee. Unfettered access to coffee is a big, mm-hmm. big problem for me. Uh, Alex, great question. Nazreen, thank you for your input. Rumia, you don't get to go away just yet because you are the co-host of Kelly and Rumia, 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-TV and AMI-audio. What do you guys have cooked up on the show today?
5: We're checking in with Fern Lullum, and she's going to tell us a bit more of background on her story of becoming a freelance reporter, uh, why she chose to do this, why she chose this approach. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. Also, Leslie DePoe, our registered nurse, is joining us on a Thursday instead of a Wednesday, as she usually does. And this time we're talking about alcohol consumption. She's, I mean, we're all noticing the trend of people drinking less, um, or at least it trending that we're drinking less. Don't worry, I'm
0: making up for them. I'm compensating the other way. Okay.
5: (laughs) the same so <laughs> we're talking about why that is and um where that's stemming from for the younger generation and then we're talking about the volume two of marty ross's adaptation of um arabian nights michael fair checked it out and he's going to review it for us
0: right on ramia thank you for this thank you that's ramia amuthan the co-host of kelly and Ramya, which comes your way at 2 p.m eastern time on ami coming up next we dig into the magic mushrooms No, not like that. Cybacillin is making waves in the wellness industry as a potential treatment in terms of mental health. Don Dickinson will dig into the ground and give you details in the preview of McLean's magazine. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. This week's edition of Maclean's Magazine features an article about the exploitation of Canada's international students. Here to expand on that is Don Dickinson. Don is the content creator for Maclean's Magazine, which you can find Fridays, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI Audio. Hey, good morning, Don. Hi there, Dave. How are you? Adonam, well, it's a very interesting article. Both articles this week you have lined up are really interesting. How are international students getting exploited?
6: Well, there's varying ways, actually, Dave. Uh, the story in particular that's told uh, is through a uh, personal experience of this young girl, 26, and her name is Nisha. She's from the Punjab, and she very much wanted to go back and get a diploma in early childhood education. So um, <clears throat> she's um, she was confident that she could do the work, you know, smart kid, and she enrolled and, uh, in a program and tr- was wa- hoping to get practical experience so that she could actually, you know, come to Canada and and get a good job and all the rest of it. Uh, It didn't work out for her at all. Um, She didn't uh, know much about Canada. So what she did was, and this is usually the route that a lot of these kids take, is that she approached one of the countless local education agents whose job it is to advise prospective clients on international schools, steer them to the appropriate programs, and help them with application processes. However, because this is a very lucrative business, Mm. a lot of these agents um, are not particularly reputable. and this this one agent that she was dealing with recommended that she go to this college M College. That's just the letter M, a small private institution in Montreal. Uh, she had never heard of it, but the recruiter assured her that it was a great fit. It had the right classes, would provide her with a laptop, do all these <laughs> yeah. wonderful things. Don,
0: you know. I, li- I lived in Montreal for twenty five years. I've never heard of M College or M University.
6: Yeah, yeah. Well, this is this is part of the problem, Dave, because as I say a lot of these recruiters are paid just to recruit and they're paid by these various universities and colleges and whatnot and uh you know they're not the most respectable uh, places and as I say, it's a very lucrative business, right? Mm. So they they sign up these poor kids. I shouldn't call them kids; they're like in their early twenties. But but they sign up <laughs> anybody these young younger people. than us is a kid. I'm a kid to anybody, you, yeah. and
0: anybody in the control room is a kid to me. It's, it's how it works. It's 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 yeah. the natural order of things. Yeah,
6: yeah. Thirty three or less, you're a kid. Um, so <laughs> you know, it's a it's a sad situation. I mean, I really felt for this poor girl and the many, many, many international students that are going through this so Mm. it's it's not good
0: what about the systemic side what are the requirements that Canada demands of international students
6: well, there are requirements. and I mean, I don't want to say it's completely fly by now you know. Uh, Canada asks uh, international students, uh, they have to get an acceptance letter uh, f- uh, from the college. Each province and territory except Nunavut uh, maintains a list of schools it is approved to accept international students. Um, she then had to apply for a Quebec acceptance certificate uh, required to study in the province. She had to demonstrate that she had $10,000 available to cover living expenses her federal study permit application demanded a passport a biometric information which is like fingerprints and Mm, whatnot mm. uh, a clean bill of health a passing grade in english proficiency and a complete background uh, criminal background check so there are requirements right where they've fallen down or at least where the this particular author of the article was Stating where the government has fallen down is not investigating uh, some of these uh, particular institutions, these mm. colleges, right?
0: Yeah, then there's, there's the other side of it too, which is the prices that international students are charged to attend these institutions. It's oh. drastically higher than locals. I mean, for for fair enough reason, in the sense that a lot of these institutions are subsidized by the government, but still, you're talking about four, five, six times as much to be an inter- international student.
6: Oh yeah, you're absolutely right Dave it, it, it's a it, it's an enormous amount of money, money and also you have to remember that that amount of money to them, is astronomical. That's right. I mean, in this in this particular case, uh, her family remortgaged their house. Oh my gosh! Um, it was it was uh, th- you know they're not <laughs> they don't have an extra fourteen thousand dollars lying around in the Punjab, you know. Yeah. So yeah. they decided that they were going to remortgage, and of course, when everything fell apart and 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 the particular college went into bankruptcy, um, you know, there was no recourse. And the money was gone.
0: Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's a terrible story. Terrible story, but one definitely worth listening to as a matter of perspective on this edition of McLean's Magazine. Don, let's shift over to something a bit different. Might even say something a little more groovy. Cybacillin (laughs) has been making some headlines. Cybacillin is one of the active ingredients in magic mushrooms. Some folks are saying it's the next big thing in the wellness industry as a frontier for mental health treatment. Don, not that I would know anything about this, but how does cybacillin work?
6: Well, not that I would know yeah, anything no, about all, this, We only Dave. learned about
0: this in McLean's magazine. That's how we know uh, about this. Yeah,
6: absolutely. I mean, just because I had mushrooms on toast for breakfast this morning, <laughs> you know. um. Yeah, so (laughs) Carolyn McCullen, who is the medical director of the Greenleaf Medical Clinic and a clinical assistant and an adjunct professor at UBC, explains that cybicillin is actually similar and reacts, your brain reacts similar to serotonin. And of course, we all know what serotonin does, Dave. Makes you happy. Oh, my gosh, makes you happy, right? So her quote was, this can lead to an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety effect. Uh, She says the medical community has heard that some patients have experienced visual distortions. Well, no kidding, uh, hallucinations, powerful emotional experiences or self-reflective insights, all of which she says can lead to new ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Mm-hmm.
0: I think there were some songs in the 60s written about this. Uh, <laughs> Don, I know there's some research going on at several universities across the country, but how are health companies planning to use Cybacillin?
6: Well, health companies are considering it for the treatment of addiction, depression, anxiety, PTSD, and perhaps most notably, end-of-life distress. Mm-hmm. Uh, a landmark uh, study found that Cybacillin might... Um, O- okay, how they said it was occasion mystical type experiences. I love that, eh? Uh, so they really, I mean, obviously a lot of research is, is going into it right now, uh, following studies. Um, it's emerged in the medical community um, as an exciting potential treatment for many, many uh, different uh, uh, ailments.
0: Mm. It, it really does feel feel that the conversation around subicillin is not too far off from perhaps the conversation around cannabis twenty or twenty five yeah. years ago from from a medicinal standpoint. Maybe not so much a recreational standpoint at this at this time, but what is the framework or the conversation in regards to legalization right now?
6: Well, as uh, can be expected, obviously in Canada, it's uh, the research is necessarily slow and expensive. Uh, Spencer Hawkswell, <laughs> who is a lobbyist and the CEO of the nonprofit Theracil, which advocates for its use, is working in support of a lawsuit against the government of Canada and the current federal minister of health to allow patients access. To the particular um, to psilocybin um, for uh, and uh, obviously in uh, connection with uh, psychotherapy as well, um, he uh, is actually saying that the, he thinks it will be legal and regulated within a year or so. Oh wow! But they're 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 trying very much to get to get it. But to your point, Dave, about you know marijuana, uh, you know, in our day, right? Uh, I mean, oh my God, you know the amount of money and effort that the government put into telling us how terrible it was and now of course it's the drug that's going to you know save us all so
0: yeah there's a meme going around British Columbia right now of uh, let's call it powdered Coca-Cola for the sake of keeping our G rating <laughs> and a plastic straw next to it and saying one of these two things is currently illegal <laughs> um, and we'll leave it at that to yeah, wrap we'll up leave this segment Don you're the best thank you
6: Okay, then, Dave. Take care.
0: That's Don Dickinson, content curator of McLean's Magazine, which you can find Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. It is an exceptional show. Coming up on the show tomorrow, Michael McNeely will have a review of the documentary Black Ice. It's also news panel time with Michelle McQuig and Joita Gupta. We've had a couple great news panels early on this year. A couple moments of tension, a few arguments between me and Joita. So we'll see if we can keep that streak rolling on the show tomorrow. The whole thing kicks off at 9 a.m. Eastern eastern time you want to be here you want to catch it live especially right after 10 o'clock when brock richardson and i deep dive into the super bowl so we'll do some news we'll do some movies we'll do some sports karen mckay from the center for equitable library access will be here it's going to be a wide-ranging interesting friday show you don't want to miss it until then i'm dave brown reminding you to play safe play fair but don't forget to have some fun